Hello and welcome to another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcasts. Um, I am James Miller and I'm joined today by the SNP MP for Livingston, just Livingston? Just Livingston West. at the moment. And, uh, oh yes, <laughs> and uh, you are the party's business spokesperson. Business and economy engagement. Oh, of course bees. Yes. No, I'm not bees. Oh. Yeah, so we need, to, we need to make sure we get that on the record and clarified. Uh, Callum McKeague is now our bees spokesperson. Oh, okay. Because Callum has the energy industry and he was our energy spokesperson. So when those two departments See. merged, Callum took over that role. I'm supporting him, but I'm doing more sort of outward-facing business and economy engagement. Right. Anyway, you're not Callum McKay, you're Hannah Bardell. I'm Hello. Bardell, yeah. And I'm in, in the Brexit, the SNP's Westminster Brexit team. So yes, part you're of part of the, um, the inner circle. Well, like you could describe one, yes. of the, one of the many circles. <laughs> A sure sign that you are destined for great things, right? Far be it from me to. This is uh, come to on. There's on. a there's a thing going on here, isn't it? There's a there's a, a, a stratification taking place. The people I, who have been granted access to the inner circle are the ones that the SNP leadership have gone. You you have a great future in this party. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, it? first you, of all, I'm here, myself, Tasmina, Joanna Cherry, um, obviously Angus Robertson, Stephen Gethins, Alex Salmons. There you go. So, Come on, but we're, we're, we're working, we work with all our colleagues and you know, at the end of the day I'm here to represent my constituents first and foremost, that's what I'm focused on. Fair enough. And you are uh, here fresh from Women and Equalities questions this morning. Yes. Which caught my eye because uh, Philip Davis asked about International Men's Day. He did. Like Caroline Dinier quite rightly uh, responded to him in good humour. And uh, you know, spoke about what the, the government's plans were for the UK government's plans were on International Men's Day, but then said, you know, I think it's fair to say every day is International Men's Day, or most days are. I think she said International Men's Day, and she got a, a pretty frosty response from, which I thought was did not she, very collegiate. Did she not add on the end of that? Ob, now yeah. go away and find something <laughs> better to do with your time than taking up women and equalities question with your stupid and, and I don't, questions. Yes, yes. It, 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 was, it seemed like a ridiculous question. On the other hand, whenever I do anything, you know, or I'm talking about equality or about, um, you know, making things better for women and for any you know, minority or disadvantaged part of society, I always say, you know, we have to take men with us. This is not yes, about absolutely. women's equality to the exclusion of men's equality because... You know, when we're fighting for equal pay or we're fighting for maternity and paternity rights, it's about saying that whatever the makeup of your family is, um, you know, and whether your couple is male, male, female, female, male, female, then it's good for both of those sides to, you know, have have equality, and, and it's it's good, you know, good for the British, you know, psyche and, and, and closing the productivity gap, all that stuff about women coming back to work. There's some really interesting stuff I think Guardian did this week about Iceland. And, it was a channel for news as well and they were looking at how they were teaching young girls to be uh, robust I think was the right thing to say not, not, not reinforcing gender stereotypes that yes. are traditionally forced upon them I mean, I was at an event a few, a few months ago and there was this amazing um, toy engineer she was a, a, a Glaswegian a woman she's now down in London she's a toy engineer she said you know we teach girls to be uh, Perfect and boys to be brave. Yeah, and it's so important that we do. It. And that's obviously that's what I think. I think I'm pretty sure it was Iceland and Guardian did it. Um, you should really read the Gender Police 
It's a very good book. Oh, yes. Or yes. follow the Gender Diary uh-huh. Twitter feed. Yeah. That'll tell you all about that yeah. sort of stuff. Uh, I highly but, recommend it. But we have diverse that. But yeah, so women equality's question, and I raised something, I raised a question about um, the only LGBT um, domestic abuse charity, Broken Rainbow, that has sat, that closed its doors in August and got lost in the, the Brexit madness. Um, but very sad because it, it was the only LGBT domestic abuse charity um, and the challenges to the LGBT community yeah. in terms of domestic abuse are quite specific and I actually haven't appreciated a lot of them. Um, so what it closed presumably not because there is no longer any uh, domestic violence in no, the LGBT uh, yeah, community but because of yeah. some sort of what government pulled the funding or something. Uh, no, no, unfortunately it would appear um, bad, poor administration, a, a nah. similar a similar situation to Kids Company from what I can gather and Patrick Strudwick from BuzzFeed did a really good piece on it and has been um, you know, pursuing it and was, we, were, we had a conversation I said well look it's something that I you know, would want to raise in Parliament so this is sort of the beginning I think of, of a bit of a campaign around okay well first of all we need to understand why this happened there's questions around the yeah. Charity Commission and the Public Administration and Constitution Committee um, I think had been had considered it or it had come across their desk so I'm hoping can get them to look at it. But to be fair to Justine Greening, she said that she would meet with me and and, uh, and discuss it. So, you know, she, she shared my concern. Um, yeah, uh, it sounds like many charities. Good intentions. It's not that easy running a charity, actually. No, no, and and there are there are the vast majority of charities do an excellent job. Um, and it's a tough, it's a tough, tough environment to to operate in. But we have to understand why this happened, and you know there was. You know, thousands and thousands of pounds of public money put into it, so we have to understand what what went wrong. Um, um, that sounds like Westminster working. Yeah. You raised the question. Ministers accepted it. Going to meet with you. Absolutely. That's what brilliant place this is. <laughs> when we can get consensus. Um, all right. There you go. Let, let's smoothly go from consensus to my recent columns, which have not garnered much consensus other than amongst cybernats that I am an idiot and <laughs> all sorts of other sweary words they use against me. Um, but the interesting one that you raised with me was the one I wrote about the SNP's left-right divide. Ah, yes. There is a left-right divide within the SNP, right? I would say we have we take from a broad church, we always have and we always will. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's really down to when you are united behind one... Uh, when you have an overarching uh, goal and sort of north star, I suppose you can say, and yeah. you know the party has, you know, I remember a journalist saying to me, not long after I got elected, that our our conference wasn't exciting enough because we weren't fighting with each other enough. And you know, if you go back into the SNP's history, it has evolved hugely yes. in policy terms, in terms of where it's at, um, you know, I suppose on the political spectrum, and you know, I came to it as uh, someone who was working industry and in television at the time who'd been from a family that were old labour, that were minors, that were very left wing um, and it was the only party that I felt represented my views and my values and independence to me seemed like the only way that Scotland was ever going to uh, realise its full potential and and that's and I, and I actually worked for the party for six months in the 2007 election campaign having met Alec uh, when I worked down here in London at GMTV and I didn't join the party for, for about seven or eight months. I, I, you know, I took my time to think about it, to read all the information and it was then that I really felt 
you know, at first it was it was a job and it was a role, and I couldn't help but get, you know, obviously, as you do in elections, completely consumed. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I was, I'd never been a, a member of any other party. I'd thought about joining Labour when I was a student, I have to say. Um, I was very close to a number of you know, people who were in the Labour Party and tried to get me to join, but I never felt at that point there was lots of debates over top-up fees. Then we went to war in Iraq, and that for me was... So that's where I come at it from. So I thought your piece was, you know, I understood the point you were making in terms of there yeah. are different... Um, you know, there are people with di from different backgrounds, but I wouldn't agree that there's a left-right split. What I would say is that there are people that have, um, you know, different a breadth and depth that I would struggle to find in any other party, um, and that is good because it makes us, it makes us, uh, you know, vigorously debate uh, policy um, and, and and look very carefully at you know at ourselves. All right, but you've. What you've said there is that exactly that. There is a spectrum running from hard left to centre, maybe yeah. even right. There must, no, few, there must, be, a, there must be a few right wingers in the SNP, not, maybe not amongst the elected representatives, but there must be a few. I, well, I can't think of any. Um, I mean, I think it would be fair to say that there's people from very far left, you know, going, you know, going a little bit towards the middle. But I wouldn't say that there is a. You know, there's like, you know, to, to characterise Ian Black. I mean, Ian Ian has been fighting, you know, on the pensions issue and pensions pension equalities, which is a but, you know a fundamental yeah, kind of okay. left wing concept of, you know, equal uh, equality for you know for pensioners for the Waspy women. Um, it so happens that, and I I don't buy into this idea. It's pensions like the, it's like the hard time that thing these days. Come on, I mean, no, give it's, you, it's, it's like the hard time Nicola got about wearing a hunter jacket, a hunter wellies and a and a barber jacket, as if she was some kind of, you know. <laughs> from a particular part of society because she wore a certain item of clothing. And I remember, I can't remember which journalist it was, said, you know, you don't have to be poor to represent the poor and support them. Yes. You know, and, you know, the part of Livingston I come from and that I'm still living is one of the most economically challenged areas. Right, but you could still be, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't think you are right-wing. I said you were towards the right of that spectrum within the SNP. But no, set, just setting that aside that. for a second, right, we'll come yeah, back to that. Uh -huh. But you could be, you could live in a deprived area and be right wing. Oh, yeah, of course, I yeah. I mean, the yeah. kippers know that. You could hoover up all these votes in, in no, deprived I, areas. No, I, I absolutely accept that. Right. What I'm saying is that, that that's my personal context. And that, so seeing inequality and poverty firsthand and growing up uh, with it led me to a place where, you know, I wanted to work as hard as I could to, you know, have... Uh, you know, do the best for myself and the, be and the mm -hmm. best for my family, um, and and so that natural progression that that took me you know, into politics eventually, and gui guides me to want to see greater equality. I don't believe that you can't have a prosperous co you know, country and an inclusive country, um, you know, and have to and, and there have to be. As the, you know, unfortunately, as there are huge gaps in mm. um, inequality, I believe being more inclusive um, and you know, bringing people together and having more socially progressive policies makes a country wealthier and better off. Fine. And and so, you know, I lay over that, you know, my personal views on independence because I believe that that is what you know, Scotland having power over its own affairs and seeing some of the stuff that the Westminster government has done in terms of. Welfare. You know, we're having a debate today about, um, you know, about disability support. Uh, discussion about you know, when the government's going to bring its proposals forward. Things, policies that have been really yeah, divisive. Right. You know. um, but that's not. There's lots I could pick up on there. 
<laughs> right. First of all, I just I'm intrigued by this background thing because you know we just mentioned Philip Davis. They don't come much mm. more right wing than Philip Davis. He's from a very humble background, it's fair to say. Even he wants to help the poor. He didn't claim, but he thinks the best way to do it is by you know cutting all their benefits and making them go out to work. This is the best thing for them because they're somehow inherently lazy. I mean, clearly. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it comes down to maybe people have similar similar goals and just different yeah. different ways of wanting to achieve so it. Background so. doesn't really come into it. I, I, I don't know. I think it does. I think I think your background inevitably informs um, where you know where you okay. where your where your politics lie and you know what your personal experience is and, and okay. you know it can it can move you in in to the right or to the left because of that. Yeah, and, right. and I guess what my problem with what you wrote was it was characterising me because I had worked in the oil industry as if working right. in the oil industry was therefore automatically a sign that I would be more to the right. But that you know, that so and I find well, that I find that a strange that a strange was notion. A shorthand because ex oil exec sounds nice. It's a good you see. I mean the thing was when I but, worked in the oil industry I never worked for like I was working for an operator. I worked for service companies. So I worked for companies who were, you know, sort of was, further down the supply chain who were actually you know, a company I la- laterally worked for was the kind of company that sent um, largely men, but some women as well, offshore to do the real um, tough, dirty work, sort of, you know, um, service servicing oil and gas platforms, hanging on ropes on the side of, yeah. uh, you know, platforms to, to clean them and, and, and repair them. So, so just in case people, because it gave it a very particular but, view as if I had been sitting at the top table at BP or something like that, and I, and I wasn't. Yeah, um, you could have been, if you'd wanted to be, right? <laughs> who knows? But... Uh, the, other, the other reason I would characterise you as being on the right of the SAP, not on the right per se, is that you were the business spokesman, spokesperson. Yeah. Um, and you cannot surely be the business spokesperson and be a Benite like Mary Black, for example. And be a success. I mean, you could be, but I don't think you'd be particularly electable. That's, I, in that's, current, that's an interesting, you know, you, that's you an interesting be, question. You have I mean, to I be pro market. I guess and I. That's what puts you to, I took to, on, on the, the right of the SNP being pro market, I would say. But I, I am pro inclusive growth. That's, I mean, fundamentally what, what, what I believe in. Um, right. Is that there has to be. So um, that's pro market. But I wouldn't say Mary would necessarily be not pro market. She's a Benite. A self proclaimed <laughs> Benite. 10 million people have seen her made the, in her maiden speech going, I am a Benite. And he wanted to nationalise everything, this, that, and everything. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad place to be, but that puts you on the left. Yeah, it does. And I then, think the therefore, if that is the left extreme, then you are to the right of that. You're quite far to the right of that. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I would say, you know, being being pro market depends what kind of of pro market you are, because it's and you know I have, sure, a, I, have yeah. I do I do take a view that um, you know in terms of interventionist uh, policies. Um, and, and nationalising things where where you have where, where it's it's required and it's in the country's best interest. It's you know, it's what it's what you should do. And just you know, I took on the business role, um, not partly because I had had specific experience and yeah. you know in business, and uh, and I know plenty of people in you know I've come across in various walks of life, you know certainly in oil and gas who you know who talked about you know nationalisation um, of the oil industry. And, and running it better because actually what was quite interesting to see is how Aberdeen 
you know, grew and developed under private ownership. You know, and and at the time of the mm -hmm. referendum, I was living in Aberdeen, and you know, lots of people would say, you know, there's lots of wealth in Aberdeen, but it's private wealth. Mm -hmm. You know, you would yeah. be struggling to say that the companies who had gone to Aberdeen, who had, um, you know, set up shop there, had uh, had put in, um, you know, a fair proportion to. Um, sort of maybe say infrastructure. Now, I think there was a desire to, and I think part of that was to do with to do with local council. You look at, for example, what City and Wood wanted to do with the City Garden project, and it was turned down. So yeah. I think there are yeah. two sides to the story, and I think there probably was a desire on the part of many companies, but it just never seemed to come together. And you look at the case of Shetland. You know, all these different companies wanted to when they when, when they found oil in the North Sea wanted to come to Shetland and all have their own um, yeah. all have their own uh, ports and uh, their. Um, you know, the council at the time said, "No, you'll all have one, yeah. and you'll give me, you'll give us five percent of yeah. of everything that's pumped ashore." Um, so, you know, it's, I think quite often these things come down to personalities and how it's managed. But sure. the, the sad thing about that is because it, it's all privately owned, um, and I'm not certainly advocating for a kind of Petrobras model or anything like that. But because it's all private, so much of it's privately owned, we're now in the position where we're looking at decommissioning in the North Sea, and we're looking at if the industry doesn't get it right and work together properly, which I have every faith that it will do, because the yeah, Gas no. Authority are very good, then you could have a domino effect. You know, if companies only act in their own interest, then you could have a domino effect because there's so much interconnectedness. Whereas if the infrastructure was owned nationally, well, yeah, then, right. you know, then then it would. Uh, countries, uh, companies only ever act in their own interest. That's why that's capitalism. I don't know. We're getting into quite a fundamental. We are getting into good quit. But, yeah, um, but, but if it then puts, uh, well, well, exactly. So, so it's how much you intervene, um, you know, to stop that, to stop that from happening. So you um, take here's here's a, here's another example. Phone masts, right? It's mm -hmm. a, a very different thing that we're we're looking at the moment in the digital economy bill at um, telecoms infrastructure and yes. you know and the rollout yep. of that. Now traditionally it's been left up to individual providers yeah. to negotiate locally with farmers or landowners yeah. to put up a mast and you get patchy service. Yeah, it's been rubbish. an absolute nightmare. If the government had said from the beginning, right, we're going to own the infrastructure, we're going to work locally, you know, there'll be, as there's going to be now, compulsory purchase orders. Right. And every company will pay the government to have, you know, a shout on each mast. That would do it. And so that's the kind of... So That's the kind of views that I take on, the, on, on these kind of things. So I would say it was so somewhere. Would you that like to see the SNP go into an election promising to nationalise mobile phone masts and oil industry infrastructure? I think it might be too late to, to do that with oil industry infrastructure, but it's certainly something that I would I would want to look carefully at. And, and these are the kind of details that we do, you know, have to look at. And the, well, the Scottish government, you know, has taken. Um, you know, it's it's basic line of service for rollout of broadband is thirty megabits. The UK government is ten, so they are significantly okay. less ambitious than us. Now I know we're getting into granular yeah, detail, right. but my point fundamentally is that you may see me because I've been a business the business right. as somebody that is you know, more to the right and very pro market. What I would say is, I have you know I would I would bring I would say I'm I'm much further to the left than that because I believe you know I do have a fundamental belief that where you need to nationalise infrastructure. So look at the Scot right. Scottish government buying Presswick Airport. 
Yes, well, absolutely. they know? have nationalised something. Yeah. Oh, but then they don't call it nationalised. That's the thing. No, I, well, they I, don't I go, think that's the thing. They don't nationalise this and make it work. They sort of go, oh, we just have to take it over and we'll give it back and, when we and, have to. And so much about politics, as we well know, is about semantics. Yes, all right. You know, this so, language you know, that, if, if like something that. is failing and you think you can do. And there will always be a balance to be struck. Is it better for the government to run certain things? Is it better for you know private enterprise to run them? And I think it's about the two existing in you know in in, in some. Well, right, right, yes, I'm like, I don't want to use the word harmony. No, but that's um, the spectrum, isn't it? That is the, spe- is, that's the political spectrum. spectrum and right? I would One put myself was, much maybe. more in the kind of middle middle ground to left of I do believe that there are probably certain things when you've seen some of the challenges we've had in rail infrastructure and yeah. the privatisation of that I believe absolutely that rail infrastructure would be better uh, in, in government hands because uh, but, well, look, and, when you get to the and point yet the Scottish government had the opportunity to hang around and put create a situation where you could have a national operator they decided not to do that and handed it straight over to Abelio, who have been, by all accounts, No, I think, it was, I think there was stuff to do with, the, and, and I, I'll, I'll confess not yeah, to know right, all the detail around that, but I, my, my recollection was that was to do with the contracts that were in place and, you know, um, situation with the UK government um, and, and certain legislation, oh, I but think I... It was to, I think it wasn't it, well, it kind of was, but they could have found a way around it, I think. Mm. Anyway, all right, well, neither of us really knows what we're talking about. No, here, do we? well, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll confess okay. to the detail of this. Um, are you to the right of Mary Black? I'd say I'm probably about a little bit to the right of Mary. Are you to the right of Chris Stevens? Maybe a touch. Right. But what I heard from on my left winger list, are you to the right of Tommy Shepherd? Mm. It's, it's hard to put, you know, I, I, don't, I don't. He used to be friends with Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> He's quite left wing. Probably, probably a little bit. He came on this podcast and didn't say Chairman Mao was a terrible man. I think, you know, it's it's to me it's not about placing myself on any kind of scale. It's about you know, and it sounds contrived, but it's it's about looking at the issues in your local constituency and 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 on a wider scale and whatever brief you take on. So the stuff that I, you know, that I was driven towards um, and felt. I wanted to pursue in the business brief was was about you know, gender inequality in business was about inclusive growth um, it's about women in STEM subjects and they continue to be things that I that I am passionate about but I, um, you know equalities mm-hmm. um, particularly you know, LGBT issues uh, and and so you know I think when you come to this place you're you know you're you're somewhat guided by the constituency issues that that arise um, but and also about what you want to achieve individually. But I suppose um, the interesting thing about the SNP is because you are, and I've called you a single issue party, and I appreciate that's possibly a difficult term, but because you are <laughs> very unfair, I think. driven by a single issue to a large extent, you know, it's all about independence, let's be honest. That is what the SNP exists for, but that means you have this wider economic coalition in the party, in that you join Labour because you believe in. Uh, you know, controlling markets and state intervention and all the rest of it. You join the Tories because you believe in you know, much freer markets well, and all the rest inter- of it. Not you sure join the SNP because you want independence and your economic driver is the second. I think that's a big part of it for people, but because of that, it's about, I think, what you find is we have much more breadth and depth and a wide range, you know, of, of very good policy because we believe in a better future. Now, yeah, we absolutely see that future, 
But different people in the party have different visions of that future. I think they have different visions, maybe about how you how, how you do it, and how you get there. Yeah. Um, and and that has been you know proven over time. And what's really interesting, if you go back to uh, the book The Flag in the Wind, which is about you know the early days of the SNP and it being set up, was yeah. that some of the founders didn't actually believe that it it should be a um, political party, they believed it should be a cross-party movement. Yes. So actually what ended up happening in the referendum was that um, in 2014 was that people, you know, um, the Yes movement really tried and I think succeeded to bring people from all parties, please, uh, and, and, and although you know, I think there are yeah. some people who are you know, conservative, and, and I argued, you know, quite regularly at events that I did and, and business people that I spoke to, I said, look, you know, at the end of the day, you have to put your politics aside and when you look at the constitutional arrangement because actually some of the, the biggest challenges that have faced the Conservatives in Scotland and Labour in Scotland has been because they've been run from south of the border. So in an independent country, they get to, get to have the kind of party that they want to have, the kind of brand of whether it's yeah. Conservatives or you know, Labour uh, that they want to have. And actually, they, they, they might do they might fare a lot better if they were able to cast off their <laughs> their, their links because fundamentally oh, yeah, Scotland I mean, is a very different country, um, you know, to other parts of the UK and. You know, we have proven in government that we've been able to do things differently. So ending tuition fees, whether you know, much more socially progressive policies, free prescriptions, doing personal oh, care. Socially progressive. In a I mean, that's a question. That's a, a how long we got to talk about whether that's progressive to do away with tuition fees and. Uh, I absolutely believe it is, and I also believe in parity of esteem for, um, you know, things like apprenticeships and, and, and you know, vocational training. And I think that that's actually where. Um, how can it be progressive to have no prescription fees? Surely those who can afford to pay for it should pay. And you have free prescription fees It's the, the notion of universalism. It's the same idea around. I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in a lot of the work being done about a basic minimum income because I think. Is that if you, progressive? How, how is it not progressive? Because I think people who can well, afford should, you know, from each according to their ability to each according to their needs well, is, is progressive. Well, first of all, very often people's circumstances change, but also it was proven that it was it was actually cheaper to just give you know those prescriptions than to be means testing people. Because that means, was right look at so look at look at the money that is wasted. I see it every single day in my constituency of people who come to me with various benefits issues. And I have literally had a, a woman come to me last Saturday at my surgery with a doorstop thickness of letters going yeah. back and forth about a benefits mispayment. Now, it must have been tens of thousands of pounds of man hours spent, people hours spent on, on the administration of that. So if you have a very simple system that's free at the point of need, then actually people, people get they are, they are better off in their everyday lives. Yes, there will be a section, and I've heard that many times, time, oh, if I, if I can pay, I should pay. But then where, where does that stop? You start applying that in other aspects of the NHS, and I just don't think that's the right thing to do. Well, the private sector, you know, private health is much, much less um, of, you know, proportion of the system as it is in England and Wales. And then you move over into, you know, the American system, the challenges they have there. I, you know, and, and you could, and you could go again, on and on. So I have, yeah, you know, I mean, it's that fundamental belief of saying, well, you know, if 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 there is an, a level playing field, and it costs less to do it, 
then it's a much more equalising factor. It's like free, you know, um, or subsidised transport, you know, for the elderly, which I got a, a bit of pelters of, of, you know, saying that we had continued that policy and um, uh, members of the Labour Party are saying, you know, you didn't say that we started it. Well, I didn't say that you didn't start yeah, it. And, right. and I think in fairness to Labour, you know, they With did the start it, yeah. uh, Labour Lib Dem coalition, we continued it. And what that does for elderly folk is it means that they are, well, say elderly people, people over a certain age, is that they are able to be mobile, to be out, um, you know, connecting in their communities, going out and about, and that keeps their mental and physical health much better. And then it's therefore less of a burden on the NHS. And as we are approaching, you know, a, a, an ageing population, ageing populations growing, these are all things that we need to look at and how folk contribute to our, to our society. Anyway, we've gone on. Yeah, we have a bit because you brought up the NHS. We could go on about, you know. There's a report out, was it yesterday or today, suggesting the Scottish NHS isn't actually in as good nick as it maybe ought to be. Uh, anyway. Well, um, we're, we're, you know, against the backdrop of never reducing um, budget from, you know, from the UK government. And that's, you know, I would argue block grant, reducing block grant, power again, over our own affairs. Well, but I'll anyway, take, I'll we take can... the opportunity to explain to the Cybernats that what I do with journalists is I put the questions, right? Or just because I'm putting the question doesn't mean it's necessarily what I believe just before anybody starts getting in touch and complaining that I'm some sort of crazy Tory. I might be a crazy Tory. I'm just, it's, I'm, I, uh, wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't know what your politics uh, exactly are. Exactly, that's how it should be. But I put the question. Um, anyway, uh, there was lots of opportunities to be really smooth there because you, you raised uh, issues in your constituency. Yes. I think airports came up somewhere, didn't like it? Did you mention yes. something about airports or something? Did, because that's your big thing at the moment as well. Is your let's quickly because we have a, yeah. it's airport week in Westminster. It's um, been airport week in Westminster. Yes, it's been pro-heathrow for some Brexit reason. I'm not quite sure why, but um, well, so what it comes down to is is the you know the job opportunities. We're looking at about sixteen thousand jobs um, in Scotland, an engineering hub, right. increased routes. Yes, um, and. So the, the perspective that I come at this from is that I have 70% of Edinburgh's Edinburgh Airport's uh, flights over my constituents. Yeah. I grew up on the flight path, but I also live 15 minutes away, and as do most of the people in my constituency. Yeah. Uh, however, there is, you know, there's actually no currently no direct kind of bus route or anything um, out from from West uh, However, leave that to one side. The wider issue that I've been campaigning on is for the establishment of an independent aviation noise authority. Now that was recommended in the Davies Commission report. So yeah. The Davies Commission report wasn't just about um, who should get a runway. No, really. it was about what it wasn't. You know, it was partly about what happens on the ground. It was about what happens in the air. And, and yeah. the, the UK's airspace is, um, you know, its, it's flight paths are, are, are quite considered out of date. They haven't right. been reviewed in a very long time. And, and Edinburgh took the step of having a flight path trial to trial a new route, or a new flight path and, and also new technology. But unfortunately, because the civil aviation guidelines are very out of date right. in terms of how you engage, um, Edinburgh fulfilled the civil aviation guidelines. They did not, however, fulfill the requirements of a local community who didn't know anything about really very little in the media and then all of a right. sudden had we thought they were under attack yeah, there planes, yeah, planes over. thundering over their heads so um, what the what the airport commission and what the Davies commission recommends is that an independent noise authority will mean every airport in the UK reports to that authority because at the moment individual airports manage their own aviation noise and that we have we're in the very strange situation that aviation noise is reserved and general noise it's devolved, and that creates a little bit of a. I know. Wait, I know. Why would that be? 
well, it's a very good question because aviation is reserved for Westminster. Yeah. So they've made the decision, and okay, I think well, it's I think it's one of these things that you know post evolution is just a great area. Um, so. At the moment, Heathrow Gatwick and Stansted report directly to the Transport Minister on noise, but nobody else does. So there's not a level playing field, and there's also not a proper framework for engagement. And in fairness to Edinburgh, they have now set up their own local, uh, or setting up their own local noise group. Mm. But if any other airport goes to do what they did under the current guidelines, it's going to cause, frankly, havoc. So it's about local communities being able to engage properly uh, with with airports um, through uh, the noise authority. It's also about what airports give back to local communities. What are the chances of it happening? I think there's a pretty good chance because the government have said a number of times now, different ministers um, at the dispatch box, that they realise that there's an issue that needs to be taken into consideration. I've met Lord Ahmed of Wimbledon, the new transport minister, he was very interested and keen on the idea, but didn't want to make a decision about it before he threw. Well, exactly. I mean, are they going to have to throw a bone over Heathrow and say, all right, we'll make sure the noise thing's well, okay, uh, my and obvi- that's your yeah. way in, and you might end up the, Well, the obvious argument is that, or response would be that, you know, these, these a noise authority, aviation noise authority, which would benefit everybody in the UK, should not be predicated and tied to a decision in the right. south-east of England. Um, however, I do appreciate you know they, they have that on their you know it's been top of their list to deal with. But I'm hoping that with increased pressure, I'm about to launch an e-petition uh, and start campaigning and working more with other members who are, who live you know who are close to. Doughty Tanya Mathias, you got her on board. I've, I have had a, a brief chat with her. And, and, like her, but it's it's also about being. It's actually good for business as well because. What ended up what ends up happening, or what could end up happening, in, you know, as, as Edinburgh saw, is that you know local communities turn against the airport, and yeah. and um, you know reputational damage, you know, and and there has to be development, but it and and we have to recognise that you know economic development is good, but it can't be it has to be balanced with the environment and with and with local communities that live around those airports. So that's that's where the angle that I come from. And is this more pressing because when Scotland cuts airports and passenger duty, everyone's going to be flying in out of Edinburgh and Newcastle Airport's going to close down and there's going to be way more flights <laughs> going in and out of Edinburgh? I think that's, I think that's a, a slightly crude characterisation of the that's situation. That's the idea, that's why you're cutting the airport and passenger duty, well, we're not it? we're not cutting it to shut down Newcastle Airport. No, we're no, cutting, cutting it because I mean, that we're, will we're, 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 boost we're, we're cutting it because it will traffic boost, boost growth. You know? It will boost growth. Absolutely. But how and that and but, traffic. Yes, that would be that would be one aspect of it. But it, it's 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 an, it's about a number of things. So it's, there might be more traffic but we want quieter aircraft so and bio biofuels to be looked at. So so um, in his um, response in Parliament Drew Henry our transport spokesperson was very clear that this must be done and any development must be about quieter aircraft, it must be about um, different kinds of fuels and you know, you just you can't have full and unbridled development at the cost of the environment. We have some of the most challenging and aspirational um, targets, environmental targets in Scotland. We have you know been record-breaking in meeting those targets, and we want to continue to do that. So that has to be uh, a balance, and that you know, so we come at it from that angle. And, and I think you know, so the campaign for the noise authority is about it's about having a proper framework to monitor noise, to monitor pollution. And to allow community engagement. Have you got a slogan? 
about you know I, well, make it, some noise for less noise something <laughs> you can have that yet. one for free there you go as a, as it, a well, starting the, point the, the short name for it is an Ayana so you need a D on the front then you could have the princess <laughs> I don't know it's something to work with then yes right, okay listen, I'll come um, to you for marketing uh, I'll, yeah I can sell you that now right, yeah. I'll give you that for free come on what am I thinking um, listen right okay uh, we've spoken far too long to yeah you've got to go and get on a plane I do uh, to fly to Edinburgh but we obviously stitch stitching it's noisy I do well it may heads. or may not be over my stitching not all the flight paths <laughs> Hawks um, okay listen uh, thank you to Hannah Bardell for coming on and uh, discussing all that uh, if you want to get in touch about any of it uh, please contact me I am at political yeti on twitter and I am political yeti at gmail.com on the email and uh, tune in next week uh, for another of my political yeti politics podcast thank you <laughs>